For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. Good evening, everyone. Welcome. So, uh, yesterday morning, Pogetsu uh, gave a very helpful talk about Sazen and eyesight. I will say, and we see. And, you know, this is it. This is uh, something to explore with all the senses. Dynamics of them, as you said. So, so tonight I was more involved with the listening symphony of the Shakedas. Okay. Um, Loud, loud, educators. So, um, but all of, uh, can you hear me okay, everyone? And online? Yeah, so uh, I want to continue talking about meditation, zazen, and now in, in Dogen's general instructions for zazen, for Zazengi, he says, the Zazen I speak of is not learning meditation. Simply the Dharma gate of repose and bliss, practice, realization of totally culminated awakening. So, uh, what does he mean with this Zazen is not learning meditation? Well, uh, commonly we refer to Zazen as meditation, right? But um, technically, in uh, early Buddhism, uh, meditation is involves various techniques that people learn. So it's not this. But Zazen is not for Dogen and for all of Soto Zen. So just to do a little background uh, in terms of the Paramitas, the transcendent practices, uh, generosity, ethics, um, patience, effort. Enthusiasm, meditation, wisdom, page six, insight. Jhana Paramita, one is translated as the perfection of transcendent practice of meditation. Sometimes it's called samadhi, but jhana is the word that was transliterated into Chinese as chan. The chan or Zen school uh, is named after that because. Everybody said, oh, yeah, those people meditate a lot. Um, but technically, and then Chan in Chinese is, is translated into Japanese as Zen, the same character. But Jhana uh, technically predates Buddhism. It's a system involving four stages of mental purification. So it's involved in stages, and it's involved in mental purification. And I'm just going to say what this is for, for background. This is not Sasa, but this was practiced by the Buddha. And it can be, it has been practiced by Zen people, um, and can be helpful in the, in the context of Sasa. 
But uh, so the first stage is transcending desire, and that produces a heightened apprehension of form, elemental form. The next one is, uh, and this this leads to states of meditative bliss and joy, which you know some people may experience in sashim. Uh, uh, sometimes, even sometimes in the period of zazen. But then, the next stage is to let go of enjoyment. Enjoyment is forsaken for equanimity. Then the next stage, perception of all these forms are transcended in concentration on formless qualities, which leads to heightened, heightened awareness. Now, this is not Technically, bodhisattva practice can be helpful for that. But uh, this is what's called what uh, Dogen is referring to as learning meditation. And there are various other kinds of um, meditation programs. There's meditation objects that one can focus on. And there are libraries full of of descriptions of these meditative techniques. But Duncan says this is uh, not, Zazen is not learning these types of meditations. So uh, the practice of samadhi, call it that concentration, um, Generally, it's just about settling, calming, steadiness, steadying the mind. This is the practice of zazen. This is part of the practice of zazen, at least. So, our, our meditative practice is just to settle, just to calm, just to find our steadiness. And um, Sixth Ancestor, this platform sutra, talks about samadhi and prajna being one. This is something we, we uh, can experience, and maybe all of us here have experienced in some way or other. When your body-mind state is concentrated, samadhi, Somebody just means concentration, but it's a way of describing this meditation. And even also, when you're when you're settled, when you're calm, when you're concentrated, very naturally, it So this is what the success ancestor was talking about: that settling and samadhi and prajna are one, are together, are not separate. And again, as you're sitting over a period of zazen or when you do longer sittings, it's very natural that uh, sights arise. Whatever's on your mind, whatever issue you're working with this week or this month or this lifetime, some insight. Some prashna, some awareness. So prashna is 
often translated as wisdom, I think more literally is insight. That some insight arises when your body and mind are settled. That's very natural. And these insights are uh, can be helpful. And it's not that you have to kind of have a notepad by your, by your seat in the center and write them down. Once they are, uh, once the insights arise, they are present in that body. When you need to recall them or when they need to recall you, they arise again. So uh, this is part of the process inside that. But again, Dogen says the sasan I speak of is not learning meditation, learning meditation techniques. Uh, and, and I would say that sometimes for people doing sasan, sasan is objectless meditation. There's no particular object of concentration. But there are, again, libraries full of concentration objects. Sound. Uh, well, we could work with eyesight, as I guess he was talking about just in a moment. Work with poems or phrases from the teaching. We can work with, uh, I say, work with in a kind of colloquial way. We're just there and present. We don't have to think about it or figure it out, but it's part of the insight that arises. There are objects. And, you know, uh, it's okay if you want to go and, and from, a, from a modern Zen perspective, I would say, it's okay if you want to go and study and learn about meditation techniques. I think that can be helpful. But it's helpful in this wider context of Zaza, of Shikantaza, just sitting, objectless meditation, where you're not dependent on some particular object concentration or focus, kind of open awareness. So this object of meditation is just to be present, just to sit, just to be present on your seat, pay attention. There are some schools of Zen where they want you to pay attention in a kind of harsh, strong, military way. I'll hit you with a stick if you, if you start to close your eyes. But um, so does that tradition we practice here. So it's more of a gentle kind of settling and opening. And, but it's dynamic. It's not, it involves continued awareness and attention. But gently pay attention. Notice it, even when we're. Sleeping, noticing what that's like. Or when our minds are running around, monkey minds, rampant, just noticing that that's happening, not trying to do anything with it. So when I said insights arise, it doesn't mean that you have to track them or follow them or figure out anything. Just this open awareness, apart from any particular technique. Just pay attention to what's happening in your body, your heart, your mind, your eyes, your ears, 
systems for so-called learning meditation, for training in particular techniques of meditative awareness, you know, can lead us to feel like we've achieved something before we reach another stage in these programs. But in this serene illumination, wonder just exists and all of you was forgotten. A couple lines further, it says, this is the way of silent illumination and the origin of subtle radiance. Subtle radiance is another way of talking about this. This is spoken of in Dogen and his successors and actually uh, upcoming Rohatsu's machine that gets in my opinion. It's the subtle radiance. So, vision penetrating into subtle radiance is leaving the gold on a shady and poetic images. Upright and inclined yield to each other. And this upright and incline is an important part of Sintosan teaching, again, going all the way back and from today up to today. So, upright, it applies the ultimate universal aspect of reality. Incline is the Bodhisattva perspective leaning over to help all beings, but also the particulars. Not just all being separate from us, from ourselves too. Upright and inclined, this dynamic of interactivity that is background of all this object of meditation. So, uh, again, I'm just going to pick out a few lines. Only silence is the supreme speech. Talked about the volunteer in the spring, the practice period, and the silence was the supreme speech. Only illumination is the universal response. Just to feel the silence is basic response to our life in this world. Responding without falling into achievement. Speaking without involving listeners. 10,000 forms just to be listening. And it's bound on a chair. This is not falling into achievement. It's not about whose closet is better. This is a point to say such a thing. Or and we even do that with ourselves. We say, oh, that was a that was a really good period of sasana. That was a chronic period of sasana. All those judgments are besides the point. It's not about achieving something higher or better or deeper or better. Just be present. Then there's these important lines. If illumination neglects serenity, aggressiveness appears. And then the other side of that, a couple lines down, if serenity neglects illumination, Luckiness leads to wasted dharma. So that sounds kind of funny. How could there be wasted dharma? How could, uh, how could illumination lead to aggressiveness? Well, this is again about this upright and inclined. And this, even though we're talking about this 
the conscious silent illumination, which is to me basically the same as our just sitting. Um, there's a history to this in terms of Buddhist teaching. So serene illumination echoes the Chinese Chantai school's teaching of Jiguan, Jiguan stopping blindness inside your awareness. Guan is the one upon him, what he said with compassion. That goes back to India and to what you might have heard of, Shamata and Tapasma. So that's again stopping and insight. And they point to two sides of our Amarjasa. Uh, and it's not about, you know, this is again what, what Hogan was talking about yesterday morning, just being aware of our eyes and our sight, of what's going on with it. Duncan talks about studying this and also studying it, but not like trying to figure anything out, but just be present in the middle of it, in the middle of this dynamic. So there's these two sides, serenity and illumination. This is the guidepost of serenity. So, illumination is, well, I'll start the other way around. Serenity is our settling, peacefulness. Very important. And that can involve some discipline, some focus. So, if your mind is wandering around, it can be helpful to focus on some meditation object, focus on the sound that you hear, focus on. Patterns in the carpet on the wall. Not to try and define them or figure anything out, but just this general open awareness. So that it's a kind of discipline, a kind of focus that helps us settle, surrounding. And then the other side. Pashana or one is illumination, awareness. This is the spaciousness. There's a practice discussions and cultivating includes a meditation on spaciousness, openness, boundlessness, or emptiness. Just this. Open awareness. So these are two sides of what happens in our They're settling, and they're not separate at all. In fact, it's important that they're not separate. They're settling, calming, and there's openness, awareness. And so, Hongja says, illumination neglects serenity, restlessness appears. If your mind is just full of insights and not settled, it can become aggressive. Serenity neglects elimination, it becomes murky. So there's this, this balancing, this middle way, which is so much a part of all of
And it's okay to be aware of these two sides. And it's not that you should try and get one and get rid of the other or, you know, but just to be aware when you're, uh, as I said yesterday, uh, well, I guess the last time many people have ever had Zazen instruction, and I said every time I said Zazen, because we're always kind of looking at what is the Zazen? It includes both, settling and this spaciousness of settling. So that's kind of the main thing I wanted to say, and I want to hear your comments and questions. I'll just mention a couple more lines. She wants to be in ruler stays in the kingdom. The general goes beyond the frontiers. So there's the settleness staying in the center. China was called the central. And this could refer to Buddhism Bodhisattvas too, you know, metaphorically. The general goes beyond the frontiers. So there's the settledness, just sitting like Buddha, and then there's going beyond the frontiers, opening up the sense of space. The last line, the says, just transmit it in all directions, share it in every way without desiring to gain credit. It's not personal, you know. If your sasana and your practice is good, it's not about you. I mean, it includes you, of course. But it's just, you know, this is this ancient tradition that goes back to our ancestors, Dogen and Kongjoe. He wrote the song of the grass out of How many different sayings has this great line? Blue sky does not hamper the white clouds drifting. This is not a way of talking about this. The wide open sky doesn't hurt hamper thoughts coming and going, sensations coming and going, and vice versa. So, yes, thoughts and feelings arise, clouds drift by, and it's this wide open sky. So, anyway, this is a little bit about our practice of. It's also an object of meditation, serene meditation. There's lots of names for it, just sitting, going beyond Buddha everything. So, uh, so thank you. You can take away the text. And I'm just interested in hearing comments, questions, responses from online. Yeah. Okay, so. Before I forget. <laughs> Those last lines reminded me of the last lines of the sign of the precious mirror spotty. Sure. Ministers serve their Lord's children, obey their parents, not obeying is not filial, it's failure to serve without blood. Practice hidden functions. And I think, you know, can you say more about because it's it's such a power more and more I I've been feeling of such a powerful that image. The ministers serve their lords. Yeah. So like like that, like you said, that sort of dance between upright and incline. But it's it's a rulers, as far as I understand it, in the times that this 
you know, these texts were circulating, had a responsibility to the community. So they could stay in their castles. And, you know, but there was this conversation. So there was this centeredness, but responsibility. So it wasn't like they were just like hiding out there, you know, right. and that that the, everybody had sort of these dharma positions that were dancing around. I just I just think it's a very rich, and it, it can be hard to to grok sometimes because you, know, you think of ministers and rulers. You know, we don't want those in the United States, but well, but, you know, like sorry, but but you, do you know what I mean? So I, I don't know if you want to comment more on the historical meanings of that, or just like talking sure. of it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. No, you know, it's not that you've got to study all this stuff and memorize all these these teaching poems, but they're there as resources for us. And there's definitely this this continuity between Suzuki Roshi going back to Dogen, going back to Bongja, going back to the Sixth Ancestor, going back to uh, to Shito or Sekito. And so these teaching poems, so we these are all part, these are part of our liturgy and the chants that we chant sometimes when you can find them. In our chant book or on the website uh, under teachings under chants and they're all there. Uh, so yeah, the song of the Jewel Mara Samadhi is my favorite song. Uh, a lot of editions of Johanna. But anyway, um, that, uh, yeah, totally is part of this five um, books for sound domination. And they're echoing each other. Mm-hmm. And the harmony of difference and sameness in the song of the grass. Uh, and, and there are others. There are other wonderful teaching poems or talks throughout the tradition that uh, talk about this dynamic of objectless meditation. So, yeah. And Zen is the Chinese school that teaches through nature imagery and through poetry. I've benefited from Taoism. So, yeah, these, these uh, teaching poems are wonderful treasures for us. And it's not about going and reading them like some, some English class and trying to figure out what each line is. It's just their songs. Lost the melodies since since the eight hundreds and whatever. We don't know the melodies, but we still have the lyrics. So, thank you, brothers. Other comments, questions about any of this? Wait. I actually also had a question about the Gilmer Samadhi. Uh, I was hoping you could say something about it behind it upright, because. I, don't, I would like to know more about that. In the Jewel Mirror Samadhi, it says, in the Illumination Hexagram, inclined and upright interact. Right. Piled up, they make three, the permutations make five, which just sounds like Greek to me. So maybe you could shed some some light on that. Is this the I Ching? There is a reference to the I Ching, yeah. But um, so in my book, uh, just this is it, Don't Shine the Practice of Sessions, there's a whole chapter on the song of Israel Mary Samadhi and by going actually going line by line and talking about it there. Now, but inclined and upright is a is a way of talking about uh, 
but change is leadership, principle, and phenomenon. But uh, this is about the two sides of reality. It relates to the two truths from the Darshan. But it's so poetically they talk about it as upright and divine. The upright is the ultimate truth, universal truth. Which we express in the Sabra. The inclined is the particular phenomenon. Anyway, and, and the Zama of the Jolmer Samadhi leads to this teaching that Gongshan uh, first presented and has been studied throughout Sabra such a history of the five degrees, or something that's called the five ranks which is this fivefold way in which they interact. So the point is not to learn some specific theory, but that upright and inclined interact, that the ultimate and the particular do interact. So our, our sense of universal truth that we that sometimes arises in Zazen is also expressed, we've talked about this here, expressed in our everyday life, our everyday world. Douglas was talking, talking to me about this the other day. Yeah, that's the point of our practice. Our practice isn't to get high. There are, the, there, there are various ways of getting high, if that's what you want. But the practice is to realize ultimate universal truth, the upright, and then integrate it with our everyday activity. This is a lifelong practice. And we never get it perfectly because it's you know it's a little wobbly, but it's it's about the middle way. It's about finding way. And it turns out that the early Soto people in China, Dongshan expresses this found there was a fivefold progression about how they how the upright and the particular interact. Um, there's a chapter on that in my Dongshan book too. But it's it's about the point is. How do we express our, each of us our own zazenmat, our own mind of serene illumination, in our everyday activity, in the world, in Chicago, out on the streets, in our job, in our work, in, in, with our neighbors? And this is a lifelong practice. It's not about just reaching, so it's not about if this is living illumination. Uh, illumination and serenity is exactly the same thing, but there's this these ways of talking about this middle way. I don't know if that helps. Very much so. Thank you. You're welcome. If anybody online had questions, I think at some point Joe may have had one. Maybe not. I hallucinated that also, no. but feel free if you're online. Nicholas had a question. Yeah, it ties into what we were saying uh, about the ruler and the general and the history <clears throat> where this text comes from. And, and uh, you know, uh, taking things literally versus kind of symbolically. And, and, you know, to me, and maybe I'm wrong, and please straighten me out if I am, uh, this is a kind of a mythopoetic. You know, teaching that from it's 
you know, if I take it literally, it reads like yesterday's newspaper, right? It's like the parents. But but when I take it symbolically, and how does it land in my body, in my mind, in my life? You know, how does it point to these intra-psychic, you know, rulers within, generals within, all things are in us, right? And so it's just helpful for me to view these texts, you know, to try to personalize them or, or identify with them. Um, or feel that they're dynamic. Yeah, feel they're dynamic. In our body. Right, in our body mind, so that it's not a literal thing. Like, you know, like people take the Bible literally, and it's just, you know, kind of ridiculous. But there are lots of great stories and very many things in the Bible, if you look at it from a symbolic, philosophical point of view, like a myth. So, ultimately, these are uh, composites of, you know, the... the uh, Mass mind, you know, throughout centuries. So there's all this wisdom, detail, yes. keys to, you know, awakening that have been cultivated over centuries, right? And probably edited over centuries. So it's just rich, and I just, yeah, so I just want to look at that. Versus. Well, yes, I agree, and. So, well, everything you just said applies also to the vast Kawan literature, right. all the teaching stories. But there's a side of them where it's uh, metaphorical and psychological, if you will, and deep, but also literal. So, I'm trying to think of an example that comes up is Dogen talking about through. Kaisei, green mountains are walking. Well, of course, and that we have to we have to study that if we want to know our own walk. Of course, that's about seeing how uh, that, there's a lot I can say about that. That's about how we express the landscape of the natural world because we're part of nature too. Yeah. But also, the green mountains are walking. <laughs> there's a way in which that's literally true. Right. Uh, over a long span of time, mountains erode, mountains you know, shift, mountains, uh, mountains get higher or lower depending on you know, seismic activity or whatever. So I think that I'm not sure if that's a good example, but uh, a lot of these stories, and also in the verses, do can be sort of are taken, are literal, and also. Most importantly, as you said, we're saying metaphoric. There's a, uh, I, I'm tempted to go back to the, I don't want to have maybe one more question, but there's this sculpture, particularly, it's very well read, it's well known. It's very erudite. He was teaching uh, in a lot of ways to the literati, to the upper class. He also helps the uh, the uh, peasants down, down the mountain. He sent food down the mountain from his temple to help feed peasants when they were famished. But anyway, this, there's a line in here that may be, may be uh, mystified. Mr. Ho often shade 
to the emperor, as Mr. Shockley pointed to his flaws. There's a long story, supposedly historical story about that, that this fellow Ho wanted to make an offer to the emperor and he brought this big rock and he said he's a jewel. And the, the, whoever he brought it to, the emperor or the, the lord of this, whatever, said, this isn't a jewel. He, and Mr. Ho had his leg, his feet cut off as a punishment or something like that. But then later, this minister Shangri is a famous wise minister in Chinese lore. Wrote the rock open and saw that it was a jewel underneath. So anyway, there's, that's that. There's a ref, that's the kind of this uh, mythic historical reference that Hongqing uses a lot. He likes that story in the first. So yeah, there's it's poetic and metaphoric. And it's about our own practice, body-mind practice. But it also refers to uh, particular events. You know, I'm just thinking of uh, you mentioned poems that in the Rinzai tradition, like, you do have to be very liberal with your answer. Like it's, 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 a, it's not like a symbolic, conceptual, you know, answer. It's a, you know, yeah. it's something literally. You know. Exactly. Right. More examples of that, but uh, I will, this is just time for maybe one more question or response. Yes, go ahead. So, the what if illumination neglects serenity, then aggressiveness appears? Yeah, I feel like personally attacked by how accurate that is. To my <laughs> Testimony. Yeah, like lots of illumination, very little serenity, and then lots of aggressiveness. Um, yes. Yes, yes, thank you. <laughs> we need both. And one of the things that happens in Zazen when you're giving yourself Zazen instruction is to see when you're getting overexcited because of insights arising and settle down. So with the, in terms of the eyes, when, when they lower your gaze. Or if you're feeling sleepy, lift the gaze and get straight ahead. You know, finding. So that's this process of finding balance, inner balance and our physical balance. And it's, it's a process that goes on. So, yeah, when you, you're, when you feel that, settle, settle, steadiness. So, yeah, this is, this, this, that's a great example. I want to tag on to this because I recently watched this video from like Tassahara in like the 60s, Tsukiroshi opening his Oriyoki bowls. And in this video, the person sitting next to him, I think like the rep, you could see such a difference in their, you know, rep was such a young person. And having sat next to rep. Just a kid, yeah. Yeah, just a you know, younger than any of us, I think, but... Oh, yeah, younger than anybody here, for sure. And um, it was so... And having sat next to Rev, I've seen Rev, how he opens his bowls now. But it was so interesting to see Suzuki Roshi open his bowls so naturally and serenely and confidently. And 
to see other people in the Zendo really struggling with that kind of aggression around it or spacing out. But you could see the enthusiasm for practice has an aggressive quality sometimes. So I'm going to sit the sashin and not move, you know. So it's a really great point, I think. Yeah. Thank you very much.